We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. This is the Bhajan Shah Kripal Piyariya on page 51. The beautiful one is present within all, but no one has known his secret. We have kept you in our heart. Give us your strength. Even gods and goddesses want you. Even the moon and sun feel embarrassed before you. Beloved of Shah Sawan, do not forget us even for a moment. The emperor is the treasurer of the true Nam. You are the giver, we are the beggars. We have lost our heart making requests. Remove the pain of separation. This soul without honor makes this request, as your abode is in such kind. Beloved, give us your radiant darshan now. Don't delay it even for a moment. This world is a whirlwind. We have relied only on you. Oh, support of Ajayb, don't leave my sight even for a moment. Beloved Shah Kripal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. Bhajan of Sanchi on page 51. <laughs> Devi, 
Sharamande
Shakir Pala Piyariya Atakazraika Pala Javi Asiraunde Karena Sivanu Arisunadaradadi Gala Javi O Sai Sunadaradadi Gala Javi Beloved Shah Kripal, wait a moment. We are weeping over our fate. Listen to our sorrowful matter, O Lord. Listen to our sorrowful matter. I want to read, uh, begin by reading uh, letters of Baba Sawan Singh from Spiritual Gems. And this, like the talk from Master Kripal that we read this morning, is a very basic kind of writing. Um, explains a great many things that people ask about in connection with the path, etc. He says, Master Sawan Singh says, I received your two letters. They are full of questions and analyses, as you say. I like them. I appreciate the great pains you have taken to study the literature available. Also, your spirit of inquiry, aiming to clear up doubts and get at the root of things. Limitation of books and book knowledge. Books that matter as distinguished from trash are an account of the experiences of persons reduced to writing for the benefit of others. If anyone wishes to learn, say, chemistry, he studies books on chemistry. Thus he learns something about chemistry. But if he gets instructions directly from a chemist, he obtains a better grasp of the subject. Again, if he sets up a laboratory and begins to experiment, he will gain still better knowledge of the subject. And last of all, if he carries on his experiments under the personal directions of an expert chemist, he will avoid many a pitfall and will, in due time, become a chemist. Again, one book on chemistry may appeal to one student and may not appeal to another, for the mental makeup of the two may not be the same. One may have his analytical faculty developed, while in the other the synthetical faculty may predominate. A book, therefore, is not all comprehensive. The author has written it from the angle characteristic of himself, and it will appeal only to persons having a touch of the same qualities. Also, the same book may appeal to a person at one time and may not appeal to him at another time. For man is a variable creature and his intellect is a variable factor. Again, there is the difficulty of exact expression and of correct understanding. You cannot convey a correct idea of a railway train or a modern motor car to a person familiar with only bullet carts as a means of conveyance. A radio agent without receiving apparatus will carry but little conviction as to the marvels of radio among persons who never before heard of the radio. 
even with a radio set at hand, he is likely to be taken as a juggler. So when ideas about material things cannot be conveyed correctly in words, either written or spoken, ideas about non-material things, such as mental and spiritual experiences, cannot possibly be expressed with any degree of clearness and exactitude to persons who never have had any such experiences. Yet mental and spiritual experiences on the mental and spiritual planes are as real as are the experiences of anyone on the physical plane. A boy who leaves school after learning the three R's says knowledge is unlimited. A student who completes the common school course but who has not yet entered the university also says knowledge is unlimited. The graduate of the university also says knowledge is unlimited. A university professor who has encompassed the limits of learning afforded by all universities also says knowledge is unlimited. Now the boy, the student, the graduate, and the professor all use the same expression, but evidently they do not mean the same thing at all. The boy's idea of knowledge is very shallow, while the idea of knowledge is held by the professor is deep, a sea compared to a pond. Books, therefore, convey but little at best and are often misunderstood. The more critically a beginner examines books, the more discrepancies he finds, and the result is usually confusion of thought. Hence, the need for association with a living teacher. Also, the need for actual experience of converting theory into fact <coughs> or individual realization. So books, by their very nature, are imperfect and serve but a limited purpose. Man himself is the perfect book, for all books have come out of him. <clears throat> Inside of him is the creator, with all his creation. The study of books gives second-hand information, while the study of man gives first-hand information, that is, the study of what lies within ourselves. So why not enter within ourselves and see what is there? From books we are to grasp the central or the basic idea upon which they are based. If you examine books in that spirit, I am not defending all books, and I am sorry to say that the English language is poor in real literature on spiritual subjects. You will find that the central idea of Saint Matt and of other religions also, is the practice of the sound current. Many different names are used to express the idea. Christ, Muhammad, and Vedic rishis practiced and preached the same. It may be said that they had studied or risen on this current to different heights, but the fundamental idea of all their teachings is this sound current. The type of the language, or the setting in which this basic idea is given, depends upon the place and the people the masters work among, their customs, the manner of their presentation, 
and their own intellectual development. And as these customs, manners, and so forth change with time, their books go out of date. Hence the necessity of giving the same principle of the sound current afresh. The message must be kept modern and so adapted to the times and people to whom it is offered. This current is present in man, all human beings. It is natural in man, not artificial. It can be neither altered nor modified, nor added to nor subtracted from. All else in this world is changeable and changes continually, but not this current. It is an emanation from or wave of the great source of all, the Supreme Creator, by whatever name you wish to speak of him. Each individual is a spark or a drop of that same infinite source. The creator is at the top of this current and the individual soul is at the other end, the current thus acting as the connecting link between them. By that current, the life, even the very existence of the individual is sustained. The individual feels no touch with it on account of the thick veils of mind and matter which cover it at this end. But it is there in man and in all forms of creation, in the eye focus, whence it permeates the whole body below the eyes and then goes out from the body through the various sense organs. To catch it, the scattered and scattering attention must be controlled and held in the focus where connection is established with the astral, the mental, and the spiritual planes and the same finally merges into its source at the other end. The first essential thing, therefore, is to enter this laboratory within ourselves by bringing our scattered attention inside of the eye focus. This is a slow process, but we are not justified in saying that we cannot do it, or that it is impossible, or that it is useless. Here is a worthy pursuit for the application of our critical and other faculties. If we cannot control and subdue our thoughts arising within us, who else will? It is our job, and we must do it, and we must do it now, in this very lifetime, while we are men. For man is the highest form of creation. There are many ways of doing this. But from experience, saints find that repetition, called Simran, done in the manner explained at the time of initiation, is the best and most effective way, as well as the simplest way. If thoughts of the material world take us out of the focus, thoughts of the inner worlds will take us in that direction. When we are inside of the focus, we have disconnected ourselves from the material world and are on the threshold of the astral world. We, too, have cast off our material frame, and we are of the same stuff as the astral world and are now in a position to function there. The same attention that was working in the material world is now capable of working in the astral world. 
And just as we now call this lower world real, we will find the astral world as real or more real than we now find this one. After reaching the astral plane, the same attention, now purified from the material dross, hangs onto the sound current, becomes further purified, and rises on it to reach the spiritual planes. With every inch of ascent inwards and upwards, the soul is casting off the coverings of mind and matter and is awakening from the deep sleep of ages. Needless to say that in this process the soul is not helpless, but it goes in and stays in and comes out at will. We may look at this matter in another way. The Creator is existence, knowledge, and bliss, or power, wisdom, and love. An atom or a spark of this essence of existence is the soul, which, encased in its coverings of mind and matter, forms the individual man. If the coverings were removed from the individual, the soul would be naked and would be qualified to know its creator. The individual will know itself, attain self-realization, and will in turn be able to know its creator. Wrapped in its coverings, the soul merely hears of its source from others, or reads about the creator in books, makes guesses, and draws imaginary pictures to satisfy its intellectual curiosity. It also manufactures creeds. If a lantern were wrapped in a thin muslin cloth, its light would be dimmed. If there is another envelope of thick, coarse cloth over the muslin, the light will be cut off entirely and the lantern will cease to serve the purpose of a lantern. Man is much like a covered lantern. There is light in him. There is the spark of pure existence, knowledge, and bliss in him. But the envelopes of mind and matter dim his light and he gropes in darkness. Real existence has degenerated and appears in him as reason, intellect, and instinct. Bliss has degenerated into fleeting experiences of pleasure and pain. Clothed in our dark coverings, we are incapable of understanding our source. And the extent to which we succeed in removing our coverings marks the degree of our capacity to understand our source. These remarks about the books, the creator, the individual, and the sound current will help us in answering your threefold question. One, the original home so often referred to whence we came. Two, why we left that home. Three, will we ever leave it again? The individual as he is constituted now is incapable of understanding what happened or is happening at the source. The saints who come from that end and have access to that end at will know what is going on at that end, but by the very nature of things they are handicapped in trying to convey information to the individual at this end. They attempt in various ways to satisfy their audiences.
some are convinced and some are not. No matter what answer is given to these questions, we can always find fault with it, and even if reason and intellect are satisfied for the time being, the necessity for converting theory into facts of experience and personal realization still remains. But the point is that saints do not wish to satisfy their audiences by empty words. They offer to take the inquirer to the other end and thus give him first-hand knowledge. One beauty of it is that at that end, these questions do not arise. So if the curious questioner would exercise a little patience and faith, most of his questions would be answered automatically as his experiences increase. Suppose a man finds himself at the bottom of a deep well, where he is very lonely and uncomfortable. Another man happens to pass that well. He carries a long rope. Finding this man in the well, he lets down his rope and offers to pull the man up, if only he will catch on to the end of the rope. But our man in the well enters into argument with the man above and demands to know just how he came to fall into that well and what is the guarantee that he may not fall into the well again if he's pulled up. The utmost that the man with the rope can say is that he will take him out of the well and then he can study the situation for himself. But if the man in the well does not take advantage of this opportunity, it only means that his time has not yet come to escape from his imprisonment. Predestination versus free will. A will is free only so long as it has not acted. Once it acts, then that very act becomes binding on it. The second time it acts, it does not act as a free will, but as a calculating will for it carries the experience of the first act with it. And a calculating will is not a free will, but a limited will. The very creations or acts of a free will work as limiting factors upon it and guide it in its future activity. So the more actions one performs, the more his will is guided and thus limited. And this is real predestination. There is thus no antagonism between predestination, fate, karma, and free will. We were free at one time. We acted, and then our acts became binding upon us. They curtailed our initial freedom. They now act upon us as unavoidable fate. Since our experiences have become complex and varied, these experiences now appear in us as joys and fears, hopes and desires, each of which in its turn molds or fashions our reason and intellect. Intellect, reason, and feeling, being what they have been fashioned to be, now determine our actions and make us choose the predestined course. Thus, the acts of one life determine the framework of the next life. Like farmers, we are now living on the crop we gathered last while we are preparing the soil and putting in the seed of the new crop. Although we must undergo our fate, there being no escape from it, 
Yet all is not lost if we use the little freedom we have in such a manner as to lead to our ultimate rescue. We wish this age-long wandering from life to life to come to an end. And so it will, if we choose the means of escape. The easiest, the safest, and in fact the only way out is association with the free. Saints are free by virtue of their practice of the sound current, and they come among us with one single mission, that of connecting us with the sound current and so making us free. And this is the only path of spiritual freedom. Facts versus theories. That which may be a fact to one man may not necessarily be a fact to another and it will not become a fact to him until he has had a similar experience. Facts of Satmat are reproducible, like facts of any science, and can be demonstrated in the laboratory of Satmat. The laboratory of Satmat, as said before, is inside of man. Anybody who enters this laboratory brings his scattered attention within himself at the eye focus can see, feel, and realize what the saints say, and he can repeat the experiment as often as he likes. Saint-Mat deals with facts only, not with theories or beliefs. It lays down a practical course for its devotees. It is practical through and through, and it can be executed by young or old, male or female, wise or simple-minded, while at the same time they are enjoying the fullness of home life. Life duties. Satmat is natural, hence it is rational. It expects its devotees to live a normal life and to do their duties better than others. Sluggards do not make any headway here or elsewhere. Satmat creates detachment in attachment living in the world and yet not of the world. With mind under control, stimulated by a personal knowledge of other and better worlds, the disciple's viewpoint of life and of its duties and responsibilities changes. The life here actually becomes unreal and its values are assessed accordingly. <coughs> Things which others lay much stress upon become of little value to the disciple. And often that which others may consider valueless and even foolish may become of more value to the disciple than life itself. This is because he looks down upon life from a higher viewpoint. But this does not mean that anyone may neglect a real duty. Compared with life in the worlds above the eye focus, the life below the eye focus, our present condition, is no better than a dream. If people would go inside the focus and enter the upper worlds, they would become eternally happy. Empty talk would cease. They would contemplate the grand reality. So first, you are to control your mind and rise within yourself to the eye focus, and the other man is to do the same within himself. When inside the eye focus, you and he have both cast off the material coverings 
and matter is now no longer a hindrance in your study and upward march. Neither is it a hindrance in your communications with each other while you are both above the eye focus. To do this, it is not necessary to leave home or country. Anybody who goes inside of his focus is independent of time and space, and he can, from his own experience, give guidance to another who has not reached so far. He who rises still higher and has access to other and higher worlds is capable of guiding others to those higher worlds. As in all other branches of study, a student who occasionally meets his teacher and converses freely with him has a distinct advantage over one who takes only a correspondence course. The same is the case here in St. Matt and the development on this path. But the beauty of it is that when you gain access to the inner light and the worlds of light within, the elements of time and distance so completely disappear that you stand face to face with your teacher and master, and he will always remain right there to instruct and to lead you, as well as to strengthen you. You need not accept anything which does not appeal to you in books or even in my letters. You may leave aside for the time being the ultimate object of life and its how and why. You may start your inquiry from this end and then take as your objective the attack upon the eye focus. Reach that point as best you can by this or any other method. Draw up your own plans if you wish. Only make and execute some plan to reach that objective. Bring your plan into action. That is the main thing. And then if you find it does not work so well, come back to this plan. The main point is to reach the eye focus somehow. You will be dealing with your own attention. If you succeed in holding it inside of the focus, you have won the battle of life. You say in eight weeks since your initiation, you have made no progress. saint Mont does not fix any time limit. Let us appreciate the situation. Ever since our birth, at which time we left the eye focus and came out of it and established our connections with this world, we have not gone inside of it. Sometimes when we have a deep, intricate problem to solve, we close our eyes and try to think by holding all our attention in the eye center. We do it for a short time, but soon run out again because we have acquired the bad habit of always remaining away from the focus. Poets, painters, and musicians receive inspiration from this point. All great thinkers get their ideas clarified here. Whatever scientific progress the world has made, it has all been derived from this source. This focus, back of the eyes, is the fountain of all inspiration which has produced the world's masterpieces. And whatever further progress is to be made in the future, the source of information and inspiration will still be this point. Here is where divinity comes down to meet the struggling man.
And what holds us outside this focus? Why does not everybody in the world rush with his utmost ability to enter this magic fountain of inspiration and wisdom? Because our attention has always been and is yet attached to our bodies, to our near relations, to our homes, to our countries, and to our pleasures, sometimes to our pains and sorrows. We have so much identified ourselves with these things that we have lost our identity. Unless now we start detaching ourselves from these outside connections, begin to develop the capacity to switch our attention on and off at will, we can make but little progress on the path. We are to reestablish our identity, to assert our supremacy over our minds and bodies. The mind must be made to work when we wish it to and to remain motionless when we wish it to do so. We must become able to enter this body when we wish, to function in this world when necessary, and then to go out of it at will when we wish to function in another world. It is the attention which is to go inside and see. And so long as it is running outside, who is to see inside? If the owner of a house sits always outside of his house and complains that he cannot see what is going on inside, his complaint is not justified. This detaching the attention from the external connections is a slow affair. Habits become second nature. It takes time to form new habits, but slow and steady wins the race and practice makes perfect. Follow your mind for a minute and see what keeps it away from its headquarters. Avoid whatever interferes and accept what helps in reaching your objective. I have already given you the saint's method based on long, long experience. If anyone is sure that he is on the right path, then if he takes but one step a day, he is still approaching his destination and is sure to get there someday, no matter how distant his destination may be. You will perhaps say, how am I to know that I am on the right path? I give you the means of proving it for yourself. Until you have proved it for yourself, you must, of necessity, accept something on faith. You would have to do the same if you were building a bridge. We have taken as the objective the eye focus. In a way, we experience this daily. We come to this focus every time we pass from the wakeful to the sleep state and return. When we are going to sleep, our attention is drawn toward the eyes, and then the whole body goes senseless. We do not, our attention does not, stay at the eyes, but rapidly the attention passes down to the heart or the navel center and becomes dull there, and we become completely unconscious. When engaged in talk, and you become overpowered by sleep, you may have said to your friends, my eyes are getting heavy. I have sleep in my eyes. You may watch your attention going first to the eyes when you pass from the conscious to the 
sleep condition. You may study the behavior of a child when he is about to go to sleep or return from a sleep state. A student reading his book when overpowered by sleep struggles to keep his attention in the eyes. Now, if you wish to go inside and prove this truth, fix your attention inside of the focus. Hold it there by force of a determined will. Let the body become senseless, but hold your consciousness at the focus, becoming unconscious of the lower world, but fully conscious of all that is going on at the focus. Then enter the astral world and pass on to still higher regions, enjoying a condition of superconsciousness and great delight. Lucky indeed is he who spends his short life in the master's company. If a man is a true seeker, he should give himself up to the Satguru and drop all else. It has been said already how the attention of man is attached to all sorts of worldly relationships and things. There is hardly any attention left for the study of self and for seeking God. Look about you. Who has time for all the needs of his own soul? He should take time, but he thinks he cannot. His attention is so monopolized by trifles that he has no time for most vital concerns. A true seeker who gives undivided attention to the things of the spirit is a rare bird. But men follow after that which they love best. A lover cannot be kept separated from his beloved, for he has given himself over to his beloved. His beloved is his life. The quoted passages only point to the ideal. A saint is lucky if he gets one or two genuine seekers during his whole lifetime. And that sentence uh, certainly should restore a certain perspective um, about our own understanding of ourselves. At least it always has when I looked at it. Well, am I one of the one or two? I don't know, you know. It doesn't seem likely when you put it that way. I do think, that, I mean, that's part of, the, of course, the point of the masters is that they know that. They know that most people are not going to make it in this lifetime or, in the, you know, in, 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 in a time frame that we can understand. They know that people are going to mess up. They know that there uh, is going to be all kinds of problems with us, and they initiate us anyway. And I think this is one of the things that, in my experience with the Masters, both Kripal and Ajayib, the understanding of their unconditional love for us, you know, on the one hand is the very careful science that involves hard work on the part of the initiate or the seeker, uh, is... Um, you know, very cut and dried, laid down, do this and this happens, etc. And on the other hand is the recognition that the way the world is constituted, things never happen the way that we hope they will. And therefore, um, 
the main factor on the part of the masters is this huge infusion of grace, okay, which comes in and overwhelms us, and we recognize that it's okay, you know? It doesn't matter if we have messed up. It matters only in the sense that it makes things harder for us in the long run. But the, it doesn't affect our basic relationship with God or with the universe. The Master loves us. He loves us because we are of the same essence as he is. God loves us. The Master is someone through whom God is working, and he loves us. And I remember once in India uh, with Master Kripal, it just came over me. Uh, I had gone I had gone to for Darshan to his porch and it had started to rain and I had gone a little early and the rain came pouring down and, and so the other disciples waited for it to to lift before they came over. So I was there all by myself and Master came out and he sat down as though everyone was there and he just started talking to me and what he said went directly to where I was at at the time. And I had been going through all kinds of struggles and, and problems and made tremendous mistakes, in which he made it plain to me in two sentences that he knew that. And I looked at him and I understood that, that he knew all of this and yet he loved me anyway. And I said, Master, you see, th you see through to our very hearts you see exactly where we're at and what we're doing and all that, and yet you still love us. You love us anyway. And he started laughing. You know, it seemed very funny to him. Uh, anyway, that's what they do. They love us anyway. And they know that we're not going to be what they would like us to be. Um, and uh, they treat us in such a way that we will become that as soon as we can. It's not that we never will. It's just that they know they have a different sense of time than we do because they are functioning on the level of eternity. And they understand that um, we need a little help from our great big friend. You know, that this is what's required. So all of these things, uh, the recognition, the freedom that we have consists in the way we react to things. You know, the events of our life, by the time we get to our hundred millionth lifetime, which probably most of us are in something like that, uh, the amount of karma that we have managed to pile up um, is, um, you know, uh, uh, enormous. And it is not possible for us to deal with that. Uh, and we are not very free because of that. It's there and it's keeping us, um, you know, within its limits, just like the Master says. But if we, when those things happen to us, if we can retain the perspective of the Master's presence within us and within others, and of the fact that we are, our desire to meet him has arisen in our hearts, and so therefore whatever happens to us, we can use that for that purpose, recognize that failure is education, and that if we 
fail a few times, uh, we can learn from that. And, uh, you know, that way we are using our freedom to ensure that um, the little freedom that we have, as the Master says, to ensure that we can um, escape from the human condition and the limitations of it. So the, the willingness of the God of love to pour grace into this world and to give, and he does give to everyone the same. Uh, in the book, The Rescue, The Virus of Bhai Gurdas, which is very much on my mind these days, uh, Sanchi makes this point very clearly. You know, the grace is the same for everyone. And he uses comparisons, like um, the water is the same. You put anything in the water, it will absorb the water. You put a stone in, and it won't absorb anything. But the water is the same. So sometimes we are in such a state that we cannot absorb the grace, we cannot make use of it, we can't even tell that it's there. And even initiates can be put into that kind of a... Because I have been in it many times since I've been initiated, who have totally been impervious to everything that the Master is trying to do for me. Um, it's the story of the man and the three stuffed japatis. But it's, it is so demonstrative of this. It is so representative of this particular truth. The way the Master works with all of us. You know, the story goes that there was a Master who was walking from one place to another, and he spent one night in a house, and the housewife made him a lunch of three stuffed chapatis. And stuffed chapatis, by the way, are very yummy. They're um, a delicacy. I love them myself. Anyway, uh, they're stuffed with some kind of vegetable um, filling of some sort or other. Various, the various fillings. Anyway, um, so this other gentleman came along, and it's someone whom Sanchi always characterized as the greedy man. Okay, came along and asked if he could accompany the master. The master said, sure. So they started off together, and after a while, the master um, had to attend the call of nature, and he went into the woods further, and while he was gone, the greedy man opened up his bag to see what was in there, found the three stuffed chapatis, and ate one. And he put them back. And um, they continued, and the, the master came back, and he recognized right away that somebody had... Um, eaten the uh, three, uh, the third stuffed chapati. So he said, did you eat this third stuffed chapati? And the man said, no, no, master, I didn't eat it, no. I swear to God, I didn't eat it. The master said, all right. They walked along and they came to, um, there was a place where the, the forest was on fire. And it was very scary and there didn't seem to be any way around, and the greedy man got terrified. Um, and the master said, well, if we remember God, remember the God who made us and loves us, uh, and we keep our hearts fixed on his remembrance, maybe we can get through this. So that's what they did, and they did get through it, and they didn't get burned. When they got on the other side, the master said, now, in the name of the God who made us and loved us, and saved us from that fire. 
Did you eat that third stuffed chapati? And the greedy man said, No, Master, I did not eat it. I swear I didn't eat it. By that God who made us and loves us and saved us from the fire, I did not eat it. And the Master said, All right. And they came along, and there was, they came to a place where they had to cross the river, and the river was in flood. And it was very difficult, and they were not sure they could get across without drowning. But they did. They managed to. And when they got across, the Master said, All right. In the name of the God who made us, loves us, saved us from the fire and the flood, did you eat that third stuffed chapati? And the greedy man said, No, Master, I swear by that God I did not eat that third stuffed chapati. Master said, All right. They kept on going, and there came to a place where there was a, a man-eating tiger was roaring around uh, looking for prey, and the greedy man got terribly scared. And the master said, as he had twice before, well, if we just keep our attention fixed on God, the sweet remembrance of God, um, perhaps he will not notice that we're here. And that's what happened. He didn't notice they were there. He went in the other direction. And the master said, all right, in the name of that God who made us, who loves us, who saved us from the fire, from the flood, and from the tiger, did you eat that third stuffed chapati? And the greedy man said, No, Master, I swear by that God I did not eat that third stuffed chapati. So the Master, Sanchi says at this point, the Master was very determined to make that man tell him the truth because he wanted to save him. So he created, using his power, he created three piles of gold and jewels. Remember, the man was a greedy man, right? Three piles of gold and jewels, and he said to the greedy man, I, this pile is for you, this pile is for me, and this third pile is for whoever ate that third stuffed chapati. And the man's greedy man said, I swear by that God, Master, I did eat that third stuffed chapati, which was the truth. And I... To me, I mean, the story points out a lot of things. Um, but to me, the beauty of it is that the master did not give up on that guy. What was their promise? I mean, which one of us would continue trying to deal with that guy if he kept on lying to us? First he stole from us, then he lied to us. And he, you know, he did not mind lying. Most of us would say, well, to hell with him. You know, what's the point of this? And um, the master didn't do that because he was continually related to that guy via his soul. The part of him that was the spark of God was the part that was that the master saw. He did not see the other. Okay, he was determined to bring the outer in conformity with the inner, which is what truth is. And uh, in order to help him, in order to take him up, in order to show him the way back, he had to get him to tell the truth. So first he did it one way, and then he did it another way. And the second way, you will notice, he used the man's weaknesses in such a way as to make it possible for him to come through. He used his own greed to make the man tell the truth. And if we study our own relationships with the Master over the years, we will find an awful lot has happened to us that is in conformity with that story. And 
this is what, you know, no one can say that that greedy man was a genuine seeker, okay? He would not be one of the one or two that that master would have met in his lifetime. But the master didn't care. He wanted to initiate him. He wanted to take him up. He wanted to give him the grace of God anyway. And so he does with all of us. He wants to give us the grace of God. As Master Kripal ended this talk we read this morning, may God in his infinite mercy save us whether we deserve it or not. Whether we deserve it or not. May he save us anyway because he loves us by virtue of the fact that we exist. We are part of his creation. We are human beings, but he also loves other parts of his creation that are not human beings, because they all come out of him. So, that's what I would leave you with tonight, is exactly that. And uh, we can thank God, you know, that the grace of God is a real thing, that it is the, it is really the underlying, I mean, the word, the name of God, the sound current, is in fact an, an, a manifestation of grace. Because God created the world out of his love. That's actually very excellent orthodox theology in any religion. God created the universe out of his love. And we exist because of his love. And we exist by virtue of the sound current, of the nam or name or word that created the universe. That is the outpouring, the emanation of love. So... Thank God, I would say. Okay. Somebody want to sing a bhajan? Page 113. <clears throat> <clears throat>
us all.